Welcome to the Sunday morning podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Burgess Hill. This message is by Clive Urquhart. Hey guys, great to be with you this morning. Uh, big welcome to all of you wherever you're connecting into for this morning's message. Jane and I are obviously not in Horsham streaming out to everybody. We are in Burgess Hill this morning and expecting a great time with all the guys there. Obviously, in relation to the Ukraine, it's still a very, very challenging situation and the increasing devastation that is going on in that nation. And as we have been praying through this week, and particularly in the encounter, I spent a lot of time praying uh, into that situation uh, there and we're continuing to do so and we want to continue to pray. A massive, massive thanks to everybody for your giving last week. We sent £7,000 earlier in the week uh, through to uh, one new man and the guys that we know there, both in Ukraine itself, but also in one or two of the nations around. And, and that money is already, from what we've heard, helping to supply food and, and provisions and, and different things in different ways for people there. So a huge thank you. If you haven't had the opportunity to give because you, you, you maybe uh, didn't know we did that last week or you'd like to give further, you can continue to do that. You can do it online uh, if you follow the, the gift uh, uh, tab there and press it and take it through. When it, when you feel the financing and what you want to give, just put in the reference Ukraine. If you're in your congregation this morning, you can do that very practically outside where you, where you are in your congregation. But remember, put Ukraine in the reference so we know exactly where it's going to go so that we can and bless those guys uh, over there. But let's keep praying. Uh, oh, just God's protection on people's lives. And this thing finishes, that the war there is nullified and that there's a backfire in Russia through people just rising up, not in violence, but with their voice saying, hey, this has got to stop. It's to the point where the Russian authorities just can't contain what the people want. And, and, and something happens in that nation too, where there's a leadership change. Let's keep praying for God's best and God's purposes for those nations. Now, in relation to prayer, just before we get into the word this morning, uh, we've been praying on the third Wednesday of the night, an online of the month, sorry, an online uh, prayer meeting. Now, from this month, that's going to change, and what we're going to do now is move into the third Friday of the month, okay? And it's going to look different in each congregation, but on the third Friday of the month, there's going to be more of a prayer and flow thing. So, in Horsham, which is more going to be Horsham and Crawley together. Uh, there's going to be 10 p.m. till 2 a.m. and a flow of worship and prayer. It's not so much a prayer meeting. It's not turn up at 10. You have to be here for four hours. It is very much a uh, like we did an all night thing through the 21 days of prayer and fasting. It's four hours of flow of worship encounter interspersed with prayer and intercession into different things. Uh, that are going to be uh, led in different ways. But it's very much that kind of context. Burgess Hill are doing what you did during the 21 days of prayer and fasting. And that's going to be more, you meet together online for an hour and then there's prayer slots through the night that you're doing in your homes and then gather together for a short kind of what's God been doing and saying through the night. Worthing are going to be doing more of a two hour kind of worship and prayer from 7 till 9pm on a Friday evening. So that's how we're going to shift some things. I really felt it was important that we, we, we didn't just have prayer meetings as such, but we gave longer times to really press in in prayer and in worship and give more space for that. So um, you, you'll get more info and details coming out through your congregation leaders over these next few weeks. 
Now, just a quick summary, okay, uh, before we kind of get into this week's message to just summarise last week, so to help put a context around uh, today. Now, we talked about uh, why and the importance of why Paul wrote the letter to the Romans uh, or to the church in Rome. It was to both the Gentile believers and Jewish believers together. And the, uh, the primary reason why he wrote this letter was because of the tension between the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers. And uh, if you listen to last week's message, you'll get the whole context of that. Um, but he wrote to address the tension and, and some of the division that was going there. And what he did, he started to write and explain in the first eight chapters of the gospel, uh, of the letter to the Romans, why we need the gospel and then what is the gospel, explaining that really clearly and showing why the Gentile believers were beginning to think that they were now better than the Jewish believers and why the gospel is a gospel of faith through grace or a gospel of grace through faith, either way it works. Uh, but also showing the Jewish people there that their salvation is not any longer according to the law and by works and by self-righteousness, but it's all according to, again, it's faith in God's grace. And he explained in a masterful way, and we're obviously going to get into that over the next few weeks and really understand what he was writing and what that means for us today. But then in, nine, in chapters 9, 10 and 11, he really explained to the church in Rome that God has not finished with the Jewish people. They're still the apple of his eye. They're still his chosen people. And that uh, the gospel came first to the Jew and then it came to the Gentile. And uh, how God wants Jew and Gentile to be in Christ together as his body, the body of Christ. And then chapters 12 through to 16, he then talks about really the nature of love and how in very practical terms, the church there, well, not just the church in Rome, but the church, wherever, uh, how we work out our salvation, both Jew and Gentile together in Christ as believers and what that looks like. Very, very practical chapters. The context in which Paul was speaking was to the church in Rome. Rome was the epicenter of the Roman Empire. And as we talked about last week, the culture and the way Rome was in terms of all its um, greed for power, for domination, and the lifestyle of the Romans was, was far worse than our culture is today, but our culture very much has been shaped by what has taken place then. And uh, some of the same issues, maybe not to the same degree, uh, but Paul's writing to the church and to be a believer in Rome then was potentially a life or death decision that to say, I, I follow Jesus Christ as my Messiah or I believe that, you know, as a Christian, Jesus Christ is God. You, you, could, be, you could be killed for that, uh, imprisoned for that. You could be flogged for that. It was a pretty heavy situation. So he's writing to the believers in that kind of context, okay? And he really goes into the depth of the gospel in those first eight chapters uh, of, of the letter that he was writing to them. Also, um, what we're going to unpack in these coming weeks is the relevance and significance and parallel of what he's writing then and what this means for us today. And also what we actually believe today. And as a result of what we believe, how do we then live that out? So that's kind of the essence of last week's message. And, and, and very much Paul is writing to both Jew and Gentile in Rome 
because he understood the importance of the body of Christ, of God's church on earth, being made up of the two together, Jew and Gentile, and how he calls us to be brothers in Christ, that the Gentiles need a saviour and and the Jewish people need a saviour, and that saviour is Jesus Christ. And so with that as a bit of a background, we want to look at the first few verses of Romans 1 this week. Now, I'm going to do a quick kind of, uh, an overview of verses 1 to 7, okay, and uh, really quickly. And then we're going to look at verse 1 or the first part of verse 1 today and then go into the second part of verse 2, uh, verse 1 next week as part 2 of this message, if you like. Um, and so the first seven verses in this letter that he wrote to the, to the church in Rome is really a synopsis of what he unpacks in the next 16 chapters. So there's a lot in these first seven verses. We're not going to unpack every little thing this morning. We're going to unpack it all over the next few weeks and months, okay? So let's just have a quick look at the first seven verses. Then we're going to come back to a couple of things in verse 1. So this is, this is Paul. If you want, a, if you want a, a title for today's message, it's really... Um, a messenger of the gospel, okay? So Paul writes here in Romans 1 verse 1, he says, Paul, so he's describing himself. This is from me, the apostle Paul. He's writing to the church in in Rome. A servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Now we're going to unpack in a few minutes what, what he meant and what they understood he meant by him saying, first of all, that he was a servant of Christ and then what they would have understood by him saying, called to be an apostle, okay? We're going to come back to those two things in a minute. So he starts with, first of all, I am a servant, but in the context of being servant, I'm actually called for a purpose. It's the same for us. We'll come back to this in a moment. Then he says, I'm set apart for the gospel of God. So the reason for being a servant and the reason for being called to be an apostle is because I'm set apart for the gospel of God. A couple of weeks ago, we did dedications and and another word for set apart is, is to be dedicated, to be set apart for a holy purpose. And Paul is saying here, I'm set apart for a holy purpose. I've been set apart to live dedicated for the gospel of God. Now, we're going to unpack what he meant by that over these coming weeks uh, because he explains what he means by the gospel. Then he says in verse 2, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, Paul is making some big statements here to both Gentiles and Jews in the church in Rome. What he's saying here is firstly to the Gentiles that they got a mindset that that they were were better than the Jews, Jewish believers, that that God had finished with the Jews and now the the Roman believers were now God's chosen people. There's an element of replacement coming in here. We've now replaced the Jews as God's chosen people. And what Paul is saying here, he's saying he's addressing this scenario where I've been set apart for the gospel of God. But then he says this, the gospel that God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So he's saying to the Gentile believers here, hey guys, um, there's something that's been promised, something that was prophesied by the prophets through the Holy Scriptures. So he's pointing 
the Roman believers, the Gentile believers, back to the Old Testament scriptures, okay? And he's saying, look, there's something that this, there's, there's a place this gospel has come from. There's a place your salvation has come from that was before you were even around, before you were even here. And it comes through a line that of succession, which we're going to look at in a moment. And there's things prophesied by the prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, regarding God's son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David. So he's making some statements here saying the gospel goes back generations, generations before Rome was here, before the Roman Empire were here, before you were here as Gentile believers. This goes back. This is an ancient thing that we're talking about here. He's also reminding the Jewish believers, hey guys, this gospel that you're living in is something that was promised through your prophets, through your holy scriptures regarding Jesus, his son, the son of God. Now, Paul is making some statements here that brings everybody onto a level playing field. Okay, he's, he's, Remember, he's, he's, he's speaking into this division that is going on in the church here between Gentile believers and Jewish believers. And he's just reminding everybody, hey, the gospel, the life that you're living, the salvation that you have, isn't a modern day thing that's just turned up. It's something that's been promised and prophesied through the scriptures, through the Holy Scriptures, regarding who Jesus Christ is, your saviour right now. Now then he says, as to his earthly life was a descendant of David. So he's pointing back to a line of Jewish descendancy that Jesus came through, okay? And he's reminding not only the Jews, but also telling the Gentiles, there's a, there's a line that Jesus came from. So there's a line that which God's salvation purposes have come through, okay? And you can't just replace a line of salvation, a line of God's promises and prophetic words, promises that have been given. You can't just replace that because of something that you have been affected by because of your culture now that you're living in has tried to come back into your mindset that Rome is dominant, Rome is in charge, that we've replaced those, we take over all of those. No, he's reminding them of something that's gone before them, okay, that sets a precedent over the culture and the mindset that they could have in the modern day that they were living in then. That's really important for now for us, okay? That there's things in the Old Testament, prophetic words and promises and, and what God has spoken about there that we need to get a hold of today and understand why we have the salvation we do today as believers, as Gentiles. And this is so important into the modern day church, okay? Because some of the modern day church has a mindset of, of how the Roman believers or the Gentile believers began to develop then, okay, that the Jews weren't relevant anymore, God's finished with them and we're now replacing them. That is a current thinking in many churches today. And, and Paul addresses this here and, and we need to address this today in our modern day church in 2022 that we live in, 21st century. Then he says here that uh, as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and then in verse four, who through the spirit of holiness was declared with the power, with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Now that's really important, especially for Jewish people about the resurrection from the dead. Because as far as uh, prophetically, 
what had been spoken about in the Old Testament through the Old Testament prophets that when, when Jesus was prophesied, particularly at the end of Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53, that, that what was prophesied and described there was that the Messiah, the Saviour would, would, would go through a cross, would go through a very persecuted moment to take our sin and sickness and everything on him, but there would also be resurrection from the dead. And Paul is reminding the Jewish believers, okay, of this being the gospel, but he is also reminding the Gentile believers, look, Jesus as the Saviour, the one who went to the cross and then was resurrected from the dead, who came to the Jew first and then the Gentile, okay, which he explains later in chapter one uh, and then goes on later in the book, in the letter to explain. He's reminding these guys, look, this is the salvation that was won for you by Jesus. It's not a modern day phenomena. Uh, this is something that's been prophesied first to the Jewish people, that, that the Messiah would come as a saviour first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles and reminding them that, hey, the church just in recent decades in that point, just after uh, whenever this was AD, that he's reminding this is only a few decades ago that, that Jesus um, uh, came and died on the cross and was resurrected. Okay, so this is really important, maybe even not a few decades when this was actually uh, written. Then what does he say? He then says in verse five, through him, through Christ, we receive grace and apostleship. So now Paul is speaking about himself and those that are working with him. And he says, through Jesus, we've received grace. Now, grace in the Bible means enabling. Okay. It means the ability to live in the life that we've been given. Okay. So what Paul is saying is through Christ, we've been given grace or the ability or the enabling, okay, to do something, okay? We've, been, we've received grace, ability and enabling and apostleship, which we'll come back to when we look at the first part of the verse one again, to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. Now, Paul knows he has a specific call uh, to the Gentiles, to take the gospel of the kingdom to the Gentiles, to the nations, okay? And part of that apostleship, which we're again going to look at, is also the importance of apostles being one of the foundations, along with prophets, of the church. The one of the things apostles do is they, they help bring the truth and hold the church hold it fast to the truth, to the Word of God. So there's no false teaching or false doctrine that comes in. So there's no wrong thinking that comes into the church that takes us away from the truth and takes us off who Jesus is. And this is why he writes the letter. Part of being an apostle here, he's saying, I've received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. So he is addressing Gentile believers here by saying, hey guys, I've been given a... Uh, uh, a responsibility, a mandate from God to make sure that as the church, we stick to the truth. We don't go away to our own thinking or let the culture of the day determine what we believe, what we think, and then what we teach, okay, which is important for us today as well. There's lots of things out there saying, this is the truth, that is the truth, this is the new truth. There, there, there are no new truths. There's no, there, there's, there might be new opinions and new thinking, but there's only one old ancient truth 
which is what the word of God speaks about and as Christians, what we hold fast to and what we live according to. And he's saying here, I'm, I, that I call, I summon. The word, the word call there means to summon, okay? Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. What does that mean? It means that we live in alignment, in submission, in surrender. We yield our thinking and our lives to the truth so that we live in obedience that comes from faith, okay? From the faith that we have, the salvation that we've been given, the gospel that we're seeking to live out. That's what he's saying here. The obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. Now, what is he saying there? He's saying for God's glory, all for the glory of God, okay? Which our overall theme for 2022 is uh, all for his glory. What does it look like to live a life that glorifies God? And then in verse six, he then says, and you also are among those Gentiles who are called, who are summoned to belong to Jesus Christ. Now, he uses the word belong there in relation to what he, how, what he says in verse one, where he says, called uh, to be a, or, or I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. The word belong there has a very, very similar meaning to the word servant there, which actually, as we're going to look at in a minute, means to be a slave, okay? The word belong to Christ Jesus means you've been purchased to belong to someone, okay? The word belong there means, so we understand there, purchased by Christ means what he went through on the cross to purchase our lives with his blood so that we now belong to him and we no longer belong to sin. We no longer belong to death and hell and separation, but now we belong to Jesus Christ. And again, it's something we're going to unpack as we go through some of the chapters in the next few weeks, okay? Then in verse seven, to all in Rome, now he's talking to everybody here, Gentiles and Jews, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Again, level playing field. Hey guys, the gospel might have come to the Jew first and then the Gentile. Doesn't mean the Jews are better than the Gentiles, but he's also saying, hey Gentiles, you don't replace the Jews because they might have rejected Jesus and sent him to the cross, but that doesn't mean you reject him. And what he's saying is here, to all in Rome, who are loved by God, both Jew and Gentile, and called to be saints, okay? Saints means, means a holy one. It means someone who has been made holy, set apart. So you and I today, we are saints, okay? And uh, not in the religious sense where some religions or faiths say, you know, saint so-and-so, but it's like they did certain things to be called saints. No, biblically, you and I, we are saints because we've been set apart to be holy people for God, okay? And so Paul here, level playing field, loved by those who are loved by God in Rome and called to be saints, called to be holy. Then he says, grace and peace to you, God's enabling, God's ability, God's grace on you and his peace, his shalom to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. What is, what is he saying here? Grace to you guys to understand this and to live this out in Rome in the context of being persecuted, in the context of it being a very, very tough place to be a Christian, to be a believer much grace and peace, shalom, God's total well-being and abundant life to you where you are from God, our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul writes that and, and it, it probably mean, meant a lot more to them than I've just tried to explain in a, in a few moments. But he puts in summary at the beginning what he's then going to unpack and describe, okay? So let's just have a look at the first part of 
verse one of chapter one here. Paul starts with this. He, and it, remember, he's speaking to a church where there's tension and division, okay? And he wants to not just address that, but he wants to show them what is the real gospel? What have we been called to? What does it really look like? And how do we work this thing out together? And then the heart, which is really what he's getting at, by which we need to live and love one another. So he says here, Paul describes himself, a servant of Christ Jesus. Now, interesting word that he uses there because to the Gentiles, the word servant had one meaning and to the Jews, the word servant had a, had a different meaning, but some of the meanings overlapped, okay? So to the Gentiles, this is what they understood he meant by the word that was used there as servant, okay? Uh, it says here, in, in Greco-Roman society, okay, in Greek-Roman society, a slave was seen as a purchased commodity. Lowest, they were the lowest people in the social order. So many slaves weren't treated very well, okay? A slave had no rights. A slave lived in total dependence upon their master for all of their necessary provisions, okay? So they were, they were dependent on their master, whoever was their owner, okay, in that sense. Now, in saying that, also in a Greco-Roman culture and society, slaves weren't necessarily then kept in positions of subordination. They weren't necessarily treated really badly, okay? Often, slaves, uh, or sometimes called servants, slave servants, were put in positions of great responsibility. And with that came rank and privilege and they were also well cared for, okay? Particularly if you were a servant of somebody in royalty or somebody in the political world, you were, you were a servant of a minister or somebody who had some governance in, in that sense. And they, they trusted people that they, they had as servants or, or slaves, okay? This word slave in our culture has a very, very negative connotation. Now, in their culture, it also had a very negative connotation, but it also, you could be a slave to a Roman or to a, uh, in, in that time, and actually had some great responsibility. So when Paul says, a servant of Christ Jesus, what he's saying is here, I, I'm a servant, I've been purchased by Christ, I belong to him. I'm totally dependent on him as my master and for all the provision that I need in my life, I'm a servant of, of the one who has paid a price for me and, and I belong to and actually that he owns me. But at the same time, I'm someone that's been given responsibility. Well, I've been given a position as a child in, uh, of Christ with responsibility. And, and maybe he doesn't use the word rank and privilege, but what he says is, oh, I'm a child of Christ. I'm an heir with Christ. I'm a co-heir with him. And therefore he cares for me and looks after me. Okay. That's what it meant to the Gentile, the Roman believers. Okay. But to the Jewish believers, when he says a servant of Christ Jesus, this is what it meant to them. Uh, according to the Jewish kind of understanding and, and their understanding of slaves, okay, it was, it was different to the Gentiles, but according to Mosaic law 
and to, to a certain degree Jewish tradition, okay, a slave was regarded more on a personal level, okay, on personal terms with their master, okay? So less of a understanding of what we think a slave is, but in, in, in Mosaic law and according to the way Jewish people lived, it was more on personal terms. A, a slave was considered a fellow citizen and enjoyed a certain protection by the law. What we mean by that is Jewish law, that under Jewish law, there were certain things that God had described as to how you treat those that are maybe not Jewish, Maybe they are your servants or slaves, but this is how you need to treat them, okay? And so this being well cared for and being on more personal terms came from the law. And it says, a slave was treated as part of the family and in many cases actually treated as if they were a virtual child, they, they were as if they were one of the children, okay, in the family, treated as equal. That's amazing. So what Paul is saying here is, I'm a servant of Christ, but as a servant of Christ, there, there's personal terms. I'm in relationship with the one that I'm a servant to, that I'm serving, I'm a slave to, okay? But I'm also, as, as, as he unpacks through the next few chapters, I'm also a fellow citizen. I'm a brother with Christ. I'm a fellow citizen with Christ and actually enjoy protection according to the Word of God because I'm now in Christ. He is my protection, okay? And as a slave, as a servant of Christ, I'm now part of the family. I'm adopted into the family of Christ. I'm now brothers with Christ uh, as, as if I'm now, because I've been adopted into, like I'm a virtual child, I'm equal, I'm brothers with Christ in that way. Wow, amazing. So when, we, when he says, even in the first, what, four or five, five or six words of this chapter, he's saying, Paul, a servant of Christ, somebody that is a co-heir, I'm brothers, I'm, I'm well cared for, I'm looked after, I, I'm brought into a relationship, I'm a servant of Christ, but I recognise that in that I belong to him, he owns me, I'm here to serve him, to please him, but it's done in the context of relationship. Don't you love that? I just love how Paul describes it. All of that in the one word that is used there, uh, in the word servant, the word that he would have used when he wrote there to, to them in, in, uh, in Rome, okay? Now, what I want you to do for the next five minutes, okay, in whatever setting you are, you might be meeting with your congregation today, you might be at church in the home. I want you to take the next five minutes, okay? Having heard what I've just explained about how Paul describes being a servant of Christ, that it's not a, a place where you're whipped and beaten and, and you're just there to fulfil every whim, you know. No, he talks about in the context of relationship, I'm an heir, I'm a co-heir with Christ, I'm here in relationship with him to serve him. Jesus doesn't treat me as some scumbag and all of that kind of thing. If we understand what we've just said, he gives me a position of, of authority because I'm submitted to his authority. He's purchased me with his blood, so I belong to him. What, what does that mean for you? What, what understanding? What has God just spoken to you in the last 10 minutes or so? So take five minutes around your tables or in your homes or whatever setting it is. Maybe just not maybe in a whole group if there's eight or 10 of you, maybe break into groups of two or three and just say, what does that mean for you? What does that mean for you to be a servant of Christ? Maybe what revelation have you just received that liberates you? That when we talk about being servants of Christ or slaves of Christ, it does not mean we slavishly have to serve God under this oppressive thing. No, not at all. It's in relationship with Him that we want to serve Him and please Him. Okay, five minutes, chat about that and see what 
just share with one another in groups of two or three what God's been doing in you the last 10 minutes. Well, hopefully you've had some really good conversation the last few minutes, just what that means for you to be a, to be a servant of Jesus Christ or a slave to Jesus Christ. And I think one of the things God wants to do is, is get rid of any mentality in our lives where we think we should or supposed to or have to, you know, in my relationship with God. But actually this revelation that Paul had being a servant of Christ Jesus was actually one of liberty and freedom that being in relationship with Jesus brought freedom. And in that relationship of love and freedom, there was this, I want to just please him and serve him in whatever way and make my life totally available to him. And Paul, by using that word servant that he used and the way, what it meant to them, he was, he was just really addressing all the stuff that you're not a slave to Jewish people. You're not a slave to the law anymore. You're not a slave to, you know, self-righteousness anymore, trying to be holy and trying to make yourself acceptable to God. He's, he's hitting that one saying that everything that you are has been done by Christ now through his grace and everything. And then to Gentiles, he's, he's speaking because of their mindset of slavery, which was a bit more, you know, you know, for people, he's kind of saying, hey, there's a different kind of servant. There's a different kind of slave in terms of how God sees who we are in him now, that it's in the context of relationship that he wants us to be living and serving him and see ourselves as a slave in the sense that my life belongs to him. I've been bought with a price, I've been purchased with him. Now, from a time point of view this morning, uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna get into what I was gonna do uh, after this short break. We're gonna get into that next week, okay? What does it mean when Paul says, called to be an apostle, okay? And what does that mean for us as an apostolic people? Really good, important to understand that. So what we're gonna do now, I want you to get back into your groups, but instead of talk, what I want you to do now is pray for one another, okay? Pray for each other that you, you have a fresh revelation of what it means to be a servant of Christ Jesus, what it means to be a slave of Christ. And if, if somebody is struggling in some way with that, what it means, maybe just talk for a few moments, but then pray for one another. You have a fresh revelation. And when you pray for one another, if you get a word for them to encourage them, you get a scripture for them, encourage them and share with each other and build one another up in our most holy faith. But the most important thing is that we want to have a servant heart that it's like, Father, I, I want a servant heart. I want to serve you in the way that you want me to. I want to serve others in the way that you want me to serve people and love people. So let me just pray. And then I want you to pray around your tables or in your homes and in, in relation to what we've been speaking about this morning. Father, I thank you for this revelation that the Apostle Paul had of what it really means to be a servant of Christ Jesus that it wasn't a slavish, should, could, supposed to. In the context of relationship, of adoption as a son, as a child of God, as an heir with you, I thank you that he lived with a heart that says, oh, the joy that it is to serve Christ Jesus, to be in relationship with him, to be set apart and everything else that we're going to unpack in the next week or two in relation to that. Oh, the joy that there was, there is in being a servant of Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you for that fresh revelation that a servant was available for whatever the master wanted at any given moment to go here, to be there, to do this, to do that, to say this, to serve, to be available. 
And that came with an authority because often servants were given authority to go and do this and to do that. And we thank you that as your servants, you give us your authority to speak in your name, to act in your name, to be who you've called us to be. So Father, I thank you for that fresh revelation for all of us this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen. Now, when you're talking around your tables or in your homes, if there is anybody uh, as part of our time together this morning that doesn't know Jesus, uh, maybe you can have a conversation with the people you're, you're with this morning and say, hey, uh, tell me a bit more about why you believe in Jesus, uh, what it means to be a Christian, uh, and maybe even well, how would you become a Christian? If you wanted to give your life to Jesus, what does that mean? How do you do that? And maybe some of you, those are the conversations you're going to have this morning. What does it mean to know Jesus if that's the situation you're in? So be blessed, uh, have an amazing week and we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.